0: This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God? Come what may. If the Word of God says it, I believe it.
0: That's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. First Peter 1 gives us a great picture of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, despite what we're going through in life. It says this, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that passage. There is a purpose in the trials that we face, and in the case of my next guest, those trials have led her to have a godly impact on thousands of young girls. Patty Garibay is the founder of American Heritage Girls, which started started back in 1995 as a scout type Christ-centered leadership and character development ministry for girls that would help build them into women of integrity through service to God, family, community, and country. And Patty recounts her own fascinating story in a new book that we're going to discuss. It's called Why Curse the Darkness When You Can Light a Candle. Great question. And Patty, it's so good to welcome you back. How are you?
2: Yeah, I am very well, Janet. It's a pleasure to be with you
0: again. Thank you. I I loved reading through your book, Patty, because there was a lot I didn't realize about your life, but you have really had an interesting journey. And in some ways, looking at what you grew up as and how your life kind of unfolded, you're in rather a surprising spot. I would think that if you look back at your childhood, you'd say, wow, I never thought I'd be here. Absolutely. And aren't so many of us in those kinds of spots. And we often
2: use those bots as a reason not to answer God's call. And so I pray that this book is a source of encouragement for the reader to say, you know what, the Lord's calling me to something. I feel ill-equipped, but I have faith he'll bring me through it because that's
0: exactly what he did for me. It's so neat. Well, well, talking about your own life as a girl, what do you want people to understand about your background? There's a lot here. People can read about it in your book, but just your life growing up, your family situation and how God brought you along the path to coming to know him as Lord and Savior. It's, it's a very interesting story, but what would you like people to know about how God shaped you even from your earliest years?
2: I, th- I think one important part of of my story and probably everyone's story is don't discount don't discount those times where we feel like my life is worthless because what the what the Lord does with those times of, of depression or despair is He shows His faithfulness and His glory and His sovereignty and even though as a young girl I was I was raised in the in a church, but it was not a church that had a personal relationship with Christ. I didn't quite understand what that meant, but I had a deep respect for faith and I knew that Jesus had died for my sins. So at least I had that little seed, that little kernel of truth that had been planted in my brain since the time I was itty-bitty. And and then going through my my life and looking at, gosh, at four years old, my father was diagnosed with acute multiple sclerosis. Mm. So he was pretty quickly in a wheelchair, and I never really knew my dad to walk. He always had to have a walker or a wheelchair, and that's just the way daddy was. Mm. And uh, not that it was a great thing, you know, but it was something That was my life, and so I learned to deal with that. I learned to deal with a lot of adversity. I learned to deal with a mom who was really struggling, um, dealing with five children, a disabled husband, and suddenly having to be the sole breadwinner. Mm. I can't even imagine the difficulty that she had, and without faith how much more difficult that was, and so then mom became reliant on the bottle. Um, So being raised by an alcoholic mother and a disabled father, well, that led to a lot of interesting times in my life, for sure.
0: Yeah, wow, that that part of your story, that's just heart-wrenching when I was reading about that, how difficult it was on your parents, your mom, and your dad in different ways when he was diagnosed with MS. My heart just goes out to your whole family for going through that, because that is certainly not easy. And and I thought another marked place in your life was when you were dating your now husband and found out this is before you were a Christian, obviously, but found out that you were having a baby at 19. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's big, and you chose life.
2: Yes. That was another piece of kernel of truth that was embedded in my head, in my mind, in my heart, ever since I was little, that life was precious and that you didn't just destroy it or, because it's your body. I, I knew that right from wrong, and I'm so grateful for it because, Janet, so many, so many women... Have made that decision, and it has been so difficult. They spend the rest of their life trying to compensate for it or forgive themselves. Or, but there is forgiveness in all of our sin, and the Lord is there for us. But yes, I chose life, and you know that was an interesting story. This um, unplanned pregnancy—I went to plan parenthood because that sounded like the place you would go when you have an unplanned pregnancy <laughs> isn't that interesting how they played on words yeah. for the naive yeah. and I went in there and of course thinking I just could get a free pregnancy test because I was a poor college kid and here they were immediately pushing into an abortion and my spirit—I I always have had a strong moral barometer. Sometimes not strong enough to prevent me from ma- making these mistakes, but, but yet I knew right from wrong. And I—there's I, no way I could kill this baby. I—I I love this this boyfriend. I—I I love um, this baby. That can't happen. But my heart today just is always so warmed and reaches out to those women in that position and in that situation that we as Christians are called to love them, uh, not to judge them, to love them and bring them into the way they should go, because that's what happened along my journey. People loved me. And I believe, I believe to this day, if I had decided to keep the baby and I was shunned by the Christian community, I would not be a Christian today. So it's hmm. such an important lesson for all of us, isn't it?
0: That's a, Yeah, it is. That's a great point. And it's so interesting, too, how you and your husband ended up coming to salvation. How did that story turn out? Because it, it's very interesting how the Lord works in circumstances.
2: Oh, yes. You know, we we look at circumstances as what our needs are. I need and we needed desperately money. Okay, <laughs> right. We were these poor college kids that did decide to get married, raise, start raising our family and had very little money. And so we were looking for opportunities that we could continue our schooling, but yet find a way to make some extra dollars. And so the, uh, what do we call it, the pyramid scheme, as they used to call it, of Amway came along, of all the unlikely places to find the Lord. But we were very blessed. The people that we were working with in Amway were strong Christians. And part of their conventions, where we would go and learn more about how to do this business, were all centered around a honestly, a um, worship service, hmm. and that's where my husband came to know the Lord. Now, I'm a bit more stubborn, and I had to go a little bit further to really start my relationship with Christ, and that is when my, my baby girl, the, the daughter that was um, unplanned but, but so, so much we loved, was hurt um, very tragically. The, she was hit in the head with a badminton racket. Yes. She developed a cerebral hematoma that was inoperable. She had been in the um, neurological unit of the children's hospital for over a month, and they said, your child will never be the same. And I I made that literal—many of us have done this—bet with God, Lord, if you will will redeem her, if you will save her, if you will spare her life, I will give you mine. (laughs) And I did, (laughs) and I have been true to that, and the Lord has blessed that, and today, that little girl— is now very much involved in this ministry. Wonderful. Her name is Rachel, hmm. and that stands for Little Lamb. That's what it means. Yeah. And I thought, Lord, if I have to sacrifice this little lamb to get to know you, I will do that. But he came faithfully alongside. And the rest, I guess you might say, is history.
0: Oh, my goodness. I think you said in that particular recounting of that story that it kind of taught you the lesson that sometimes there's nothing you can do but pray. I thought, boy, that's yes. isn't that the truth? Yes. That's so true. And then shouldn't it be the
2: first thing we do, Janet? That's what's yes. so frustrating with with myself. I'm like, come on, you know the Lord
0: will bring me bring me through this in his way, but maybe not in my way. Right you know, now. that you have hit the nail on the head, Patty. So true. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back with Patty Garibay, founder of American Heritage Girls and author of Why Curse the Darkness, When You Can Light a Candle. We'll be back. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with healthcare for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at LibertyHealthShare.org slash JMT. That's LibertyHealthShare.org slash JMT. Or call now 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or LibertyHealthShare.org slash JMT.
2: I was afraid, I was scared, I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion.
0: The battle for life has heated up in our country and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear a heartbeat and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY 855-402-2229 or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMefford.com You're listening to Janet Mefford today and now here's Janet Well, it is wonderful to be with you again. Thanks for joining us, and it is just great to have with us Patty Garibay, founder and executive director of American Heritage Girls. So many of you, I know, have girls in her troops, and what a great organization it is as a Christ-centered alternative to the Girl Scouts. Why curse the darkness when you can light a candle? That's the question Patty Garibay asks in the title of her latest book, kind of going through her whole story of how she founded American Heritage Girls. What a story it is, Patty. I was going through all of these chapters, kind of going through... Uh, block by block on how you became concerned about the trajectory of the Girl Scouts. You were a leader, weren't you, in the 80s? It wasn't until 93, was it, that you started to really get concerned?
2: That's very true. I served in the Girl Scouts for 12 years. I was not just a troop leader, but I was also an area delegate and also a, a, a you know, a volunteer at the, at the uh, council level. So I was very involved in Girl Scouts. As a matter of fact, people in my community said I bled green. <laughs> I loved it so much, but I used it as my ministry. I was using it to spread the gospel. And um, there was a change, right, in the 90s um, that, that really changed everything for me.
0: Well, right, because they started putting, what was it, putting an asterisk next, next to the word God in their promise, which was unprecedented. What in the world were they thinking?
2: Exactly, and and that was the biggest concern I had here. It was a character development program that was based on Judeo-Christian values, and so I knew Girl Scouts was founded in 1912 by Juliet Gordon Lowe, who was an avid Bible reader, daily Bible reader. She was also a Christian. Why would they make this change in the 90s? And I I was just questioning it, and so rather than um, just Saying, oh, I'm leaving. I was trying to make changes locally to sort of show the Girl Scouts the error of their ways. And certainly, when they saw enough public pressure that this is not what the people that they serve wanted, they would change these ways. Mm. Well, I was quite naive. I had no idea that in the 70s, Betty Friedan um, of now, you know, actually served on their National Board of Trustees. And mm. it, it, the whole litany of activists, feminist activists were part of the Girl Scouts, the push for the ERA. There was just a lot of damage that was done, I believe, to femininity during those days. And that is was the Girl Scouts of the 70s, but I didn't know it as a volunteer. But boy, when they changed the Girl Scout oath to no longer mandate an oath to God. That's when my eyes opened and I said, whoa, I cannot serve two gods. I either serve the Lord God Almighty or the Girl Scout. One of them is going to go and it's not going to be the Lord God Almighty.
0: (laughs) Good for you, Patty. Well, I know another area of concern was sex education. You talk about this sexuality and you guide, which you tried to fight. What happened? Tell us a little bit about that fight that you took on.
2: Right. Well, I had heard about this sexuality and you camp that was being um, run at a local Girl Scout camp that, of course, is funded. By cookie profits, and so it's really important that we understand all the things that we that we fund. Uh, you know, maybe we like cookies, but he might not be liking the agenda it's funding. Yeah. But I, I started to look at this because my own daughter received a personal invitation, along with the rest of the girls in my troop. I was dealing with girls at junior high level at that point, and they were invited for the first time to come to a retreat. And it was it sounded innocuous. I read the um you know the brochure. It sounded yeah you know everybody would needs a little help with this topic maybe. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then I knew that there was a lot of questionable stuff going on in the Girl Scouts. And so I was going on Christian radio, ironically enough, and talking about, has any of the listeners sent their daughters to this? We are interested in learning more about it. And we would get callers. And finally, the president of the Girl Scout Council locally said, I want to meet with that woman that's speaking out against this camp. And the pastor who ran that show said, okay, under one condition, you bring that facilitator's guide or the curricula of that particular retreat with you, and you can meet that woman. And so I was so nervous, Janet, I, I, this was a, this was somebody I believe was corporate, you know, she brought up somebody that was the president of the council, and she was very high up in corporate, um, Cincinnati corporate America anyway, and I was like, whoa, I'm not, oh, I can't do this, I had a mustard seed, I was rubbing and praying like mightily for the Lord to give me the courage to deal with these two, what I felt were very highly accomplished women, and here was me, this mama housewife who just had a concern, and was I really crazy, they had I handed over that curricula guide and I was not crazy. The Lord had convicted me of the right thing. It was absolutely horrific. That they were teaching these girls that were only in seventh and eighth grade.
0: Oh, man. And it's such a nightmare when you start walking that path. I, I also was stunned at your story of how you finally, you know, put up your husband's name for a position on your council's board of directors and how that went down. Can you tell that particular story, Patty? Because I know that was kind of the end of the line for you.
2: It really was. As I had mentioned earlier, I had been an area delegate, so I was given the um, authority and really the honor to be able to vote on behalf of the volunteers from my area. And so I was in attendance at the annual meeting of our local council, and we again were trying to fight the good fight. We were trying to make changes in Girl Scouting, still believing that they would listen to reason. And so we thought, well, maybe if we we could um, you know affect change by putting a Christian. On the board of directors. Um, there was an opening. It was not a full slate. We followed all of their um, detailed ABC and D steps that they, that they create. And we did everything perfectly. But of course, this was all created this kind of process so that they knew ahead of time who was going to be nominated from the floor. And they were well orchestrated on how to demean that that particular candidate, how to say falsehoods about them. They even adjourned the annual meeting so that there was a, quote, break, where people lined up at at two different microphones to speak horrible things about Mm. this candidate who happened to be my husband, Uh. and uh, just try to diminish any concerns we had. And then... The most audacious thing happened. When it came time for the vote, the casting of the votes, and I knew at least a handful of people, if not two, that were voting for this candidate, when they said that he received zero votes and then moved one step further and and asked for a a destruction of those votes, which (sighs) is illegal for a nonprofit to do, I knew that this was an immoral and a not an aligned organization that it was time no longer to fight the fight, but to leave and to start something new. Yeah,
0: it's clear at that point. Even if you stand up and say, that's funny, we all voted for him. Where did the votes go? Yeah. I mean, at that point, you know the fix is in and you can't redeem it. So you started American Heritage Girls. It's now been going strong for over, what is it, 20, 25, 26 years now. It's incredible. I-
2: yeah, un- unbelievable. Only God could do
0: that. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you know, this is such a, a wonderful example, Patty. I, what I take away from this is the fact that, A, you were willing to fight. You didn't retreat. You didn't leave. You didn't just, you know, wash your hands of all these people. You really did your level best to try to reform from within, present the truth and, and operate in good faith. When it became obvious you could no longer di- do that, you lit a candle. And I know that was not easy for you. You had all these children to look after yourself and you were in a very busy stage of life. You know, how do you look back on your decision to have done that now?
2: I just I just learned that the Lord, the Lord taught me that you need to go through his open doors and pray for him to shut those doors he doesn't want you to go through. And so it, it's very important to be persevering and tenacious because there will be so many times, like we would hold these information sessions about what American Heritage Girls was going to be. This crazy idea, who who, who starts this? Who's The Don Quixote, you know, sort of um, wrestling with all of the windmills. But I felt that way and very alone at times. And maybe one or two people would come to those evening sessions, time away from my family and my kids. And I'm like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? But it was what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to grow resilient and gritty. To be able to take on this fight because it was not a pretty fight. Um, to, to learn more and more as, as the Girl Scouts continue to degrade, I, it gave me more of more of a fire in my belly, which I think we need in order to keep our motivation levels up. You know, the call of the Lord and then the passion for what you're doing. Of why this is dangerous. See, I looked at my own life and I did not have those wayfaring signs that I should have had, and I wanted that for every girl. And to see that the Girl Scouts weren't a, not only not supplying warefaring signs, but they were actually bringing signs of confusion. I mean, today they're sending girls to pronoun island to understand what their pronoun is. This is damaging. This is damaging. And that is why you have to say, you know what, this may be uncomfortable. This may be way beyond my means, but the Lord is calling me to it. He will bring the resource and he does.
0: It's so ni- neat to hear the story. and You know, and there are troops now, as I understand, in every state and in 15 countries around the world through your Trailblazer program. And girls are learning about, you know, outdoor things, you know, having experiences outdoors and service projects and all the wonderful things that the scouts offered at one time without all of the leftist activism thrown in. You know, when you are looking at all of this, and I know, especially during the pandemic, Patty, you and I have had the opportunity to talk a little bit off air about how much the pandemic actually helped girls in American Heritage, girls really find that sense of community. I mean, that must make you feel so good and and so, you know, thankful that the Lord led you in this direction, despite all the trials that you went through. And I'm sure there are thousands of parents who are just so thankful for you.
2: It's It's unbelievable. I mean, we are not... To be expectant of seeing fruit in our lifetime of what we do in service to the Lord. I don't believe we are deserving of that, but the Lord has blessed me incredibly by allowing those fruits to be seen in my lifetime. And for that, I am forever grateful. <laughs> it is, it is very uh, it, humbling, humbling for to think that even any influence was made in a positive way on a girl, one girl's life, much less all of these girls over the years. I'm a blessed woman. I I am absolutely thrilled to see girls growing and who they are and whose they are. And for parents to say, Oh, Thank you. I have been looking for this. I want a framework for adulting for my daughter, but I want her to have like-minded friends, and I want her to be in a safe environment, and I want her to have Titus two mentors that are are Christ-loving and that will... speak of affirmation and encouragement and really, really to my daughter. And that's what I'm excited about being part of. Not so much my influence, but the fact that it's a trickle effect and the Lord uses his multiplication to create great, great things happening.
0: Oh, man. Well, it's all told in this great book. It's called Why Curse the Darkness When You Can Light a Candle. And all I can say is, look what God can do through a mom who is willing to surrender to Jesus Christ. Patty, you are wonderful. AmericanHeritageGirls.org is the website. And Patty Garibay, thank you so much, Patty for everything you do and for being with us again and thank you Janet God bless you God bless you too you're listening to Janet Meffer today This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now here's your host, Janet Mefford. I am so glad to see this. The Conservative Baptist Network is now calling for the resignation of plagiarist pastor who is now the president of the denomination, Ed Litton. They're calling for his resignation. Just out with a statement yesterday. This is what it says. recent weeks have brought to light evidence of repeated plagiarism of multiple sources on the part of Southern Baptist Convention President Ed Litton. This sinful behavior and the lack of forthrightness when exposed is inconsistent with the character and integrity Southern Baptists rightfully expect from their president. Compounding the concern surrounding President Lytton's irrefutable pattern of plagiarism is the silence of nearly all SBC leaders. See, that's the second tier of the scandal. They say further eroding the testimony of the SBC to a watching world is the way some SBC leaders have excused and even minimized this troubling behavior. Scripture says acquitting the guilty and calling evil good are wrong. Deceitful behavior on the part of a pastor is doubly egregious as those holding this office are called to be able to teach and to study to show yourself approved. Plagiarism is a violation of the Eighth and Ninth Commandments, and Scripture warns that men leading Christ's local churches will be judged with even greater strictness. The Conservative Baptist Network delayed commenting on this matter publicly in the hope that personal conversations and counsel with President Lytton would lead him to acknowledge his error and repent. Sadly, this has not occurred as further evidence of what appears to be serial plagiarism continues to surface in at least six videos from a variety of named sources. I'm glad they said that the conservative Baptist network calls on the leaders of the SBC to address this matter promptly and biblically for the sake of the gospel. It is best for president Lytton to step down from office and focus on his personal spiritual development with his local church. The testimony of Southern Baptists and of the gospel is at stake. So I would like to say, first of all, hear, hear, Conservative Baptist Network, and I'm glad they clarified why they had delayed in releasing the statement. I can understand very well why they would want to work behind the scenes insofar as it were possible to bring Lytton to repentance and to full recognition and to full admitting what he did. But here's what's complicating the entire story. As you know, what's been coming out of late is more and more information about the docent research group. And this is the group that provides material for pastors. This is the group that wrote the books for Mark Driscoll back in 2013 when I found his plagiarism. That was the work of the docent research group, which from what I understood, they actually footnoted what he plagiarized. And there was a little story behind the story there. But now it's come out that docent research group is one of the groups at least, that has been providing sermon help, not only to Ed Litton, but to a lot of pastors we had. And we talked about this just recently. We've seen, recommendations for Docent Research Group from people like Tim Keller and people like John Ortberg and people like J.D. Greer, the immediate past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And not everything is known to this date about the Docent Research Group. More and more is coming out about this group, but we're finding out that there are many people who either have been part of the Docent Research Group or are currently part of the Docent Research Group who are, let's just say, far from conservatives. They're not conservatives. It it is is questionable whether or not all of them are even Christians. So, you know, what are you supposed to conclude? We have a multi-tiered problem here with Ed Litton and his cohorts and J.D. Greer. Now, J.D. Greer was the first pastor whom was revealed to have been the source for Ed Litton's Plagiarized Romans 1 sermon. And then all these other sources came out and videos came out showing that he was lifting material and they were doing side-by-sides with other videos. One of his underlings there at his church in Alabama was also using similar material. So the question now becomes, what's going on? Is it really a matter of Flat out plagiarism. Now, according to Lytton's initial statement, when that first issue of plagiarism came out, he apologized, oh, I should have cited JD, but JD gave me permission in advance. So according to Ed Litton's own words, JD Greer was in on giving the material to Ed Lytton. Now what I wonder, because I no longer trust this guy to tell the truth after what he did concerning removal of some of this heresy from his website on the sly. Uh, they, they, uh, they, uh, I don't trust the guy. I don't trust the guy at all because I've seen nothing but a pattern of deception with him. So I am disinclined to listen to him and immediately believe everything he says. I'm just not that naive. And when I see his response, has been Stonewall, 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 give out a very minimized statement Stonewall, Stonewall, Stonewall. And then you see the behavior of the rest of the SBC elites who are his friends, and it's disgusting. I'm going to say that I know that people have in their minds this incredible respect for the big men of God, the big celebrities, the guys who are always out in front. They're on the stage and they're famous and they put out very well filmed podcast videos and, uh, you know, webcast videos, I should say, and podcasts. And they have great books, which. Now we know, we don't necessarily get to assume anymore that any of these guys write their own books because we, now we know there are a lot of people who don't write their own sermons. Is this okay with us as Christians? No, it shouldn't be okay with us as Christians if we're going by the Bible. Who in the world is above the Bible? Nobody is above the Bible. If you are a Christian, you are under the authority of God himself in his holy word. And his word is not confusing. It is very obvious that when you look at the qualifications for a pastor, you have to be above reproach. What do you think that means? It doesn't mean sinless, but it means you have a really solid reputation. Think of people in your life, for example, maybe people at your church or maybe your mom and dad, maybe your grandparents, maybe neighbors that you had who you could honestly say of them that guy was solid to the core or that woman was the godliest woman. She was honest. She was loyal. She was, She just had fantastic character. She loved people. She was very giving. She just didn't have a mean bone in her body. We all know people like that. It's not that they're perfect. It's just that they're above reproach. You would never find anything in their lives that would be scandalous or deceitful or wicked in any way. But now we have this question, is it the case that the docent research group was giving similar material to different pastors. And so some of what looks like plagiarism might actually be the docent group giving the same material to the same guys. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Because now what's happened is you have leaders in the docent group making their Twitter accounts private. Because Protestia now has put out a, a long article about the docent research group But, uh, you know, that's not really transparency, guys. When people start digging and and trying to find out what the real deal is with these guys who are paid lots of money to provide sermon illustrations and exegesis and things of that nature, you know... (laughs) It's sleazy. It's just sleazy. If you are in the position of a pastor, write your own sermons. That should be job number one. You preach the word of God. That's why you're there. And you also shepherd the flock. But preaching your own stuff, that shouldn't even be controversial, whether or not you're allowed to do anything like hiring docents, And what of the money angle? What of all of these congregations who now know and I don't know how many people know because I don't know how widespread the knowledge is about what's been going on. How many people in the pews know that their pastors have been paying a group to do their sermon prep? Does that bother you? And aside from that, how much have they been paying docent research group? And did you know about that? And when you were giving money in the offering plate or when you were tithing, is part of your money going to docent so your pastor can skirt his duties to preach the word himself to you? Every single person listening to me, if you are in a church of any size, and it probably applies across the board also because there are groups from what I understand that will do similar work for smaller churches, but mainly if you are in a big church, I would advise you to go to your pastor or as close as you can get to him and inquire, does this church pay docent research group? to prepare material for the pastor's sermons because we want to see how much that has been done and we want to see how much that has cost and we want to see the hard numbers. Everybody needs to hold your church accountable. Why? Because nobody is above the Bible, folks. And if you can't trust that your pastor standing in front of you is doing the study and the preparation, which you pay him to do to bring you the word of God every week, then why are you there? Find out. Go to your church, go to your elders, go to your church leadership, however you plan to do it, however your church is set up structurally, go there and find out. It's really important because this is only going to get worse. If you see what the CBN is saying about these SBC elites refusing to condemn Ed Litton, we have a massive corruption problem, folks. And and it is bad. And it's going to take the sheep to rise up and test their shepherds according to the word of God at this juncture. But yes, Lytton needs to resign, and so do his enabling friends, in my opinion. We'll be back. This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 bible believers in Africa. In many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique, as many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me. And now it will mean so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique.
1: One occasion,
2: I found a pastor that uh, was uh, leading a
1: church of 90 church members. And he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians. And he was leading the
2: church with that Bible. So, When we went to give them the bargain, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried and they praised God for the gift.
0: Of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800 yes word 800-YESWORD, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at com.
1: Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible, that... Pastor, I understand you work with Bible League, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that. So there is a great need of Bibles.
0: Send God's Word to a bible believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800 YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. You know, I think when all is said and done, so much good has been done in the world by people who are just average, normal people willing to do the right thing at the right time. The more I live, the more I have experienced that truth, where just normal people who aren't famous, who don't have any huge bank account necessarily, they don't have any accolades and ribbons and trophies, but they're just solid, decent people who want to do the right thing and have the right motivation for doing the right thing. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate like people like that. Not only Christians who are willing to do that, uh, even within the church when there's corruption, like in the SBC, but also people in the secular realm. And, you know, this is part of God's grace to the world. You know, he makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. And I really appreciate all of these people who have been whistleblowers. A lot of them have gone to Project Veritas. And there's a story out now about a recent whistleblower, a man by the name of David Johnson, a Harvey Nash packaging engineer, contracting with the company Hasbro. You know Hasbro. If you have kids, you have Hasbro toys around, or you've certainly seen their commercials or seen that product name when you go through Walmart or wherever you shop for toys. He came forward because, as it turns out, Hasbro has gone woke and is now in the process of trying to put critical race theory into the minds of the kids who use and play with their toys. Yes, there's no safe harbor anymore for your children. Not only do you have to worry about what's happening in the schools, you now have to worry about the companies that provide child resources, such as books, like at Barnes & Noble, where you see Woke Baby and all these critical race theory-based books for kids. I hope you never get your kid any of those books. Now you have to worry about the toys. This whistleblower, David Johnson, sat down with James O'Keefe. I want to play a little bit of this interview for you. Here's how it started out. Cut one.
1: My name is uh, David Johnson. I'm a packaging engineer for Hasbro. They are attempting to covertly push CRT, critical race theory, through branding and messaging through their products. I decided to come to Project Veritas because I opposed the indoctrination of children that they wanted to push. Explain what we're looking at here. This is the program developed by The Conscious Kid, which is working with Hasbro to teach children about racial bias at an early age. Is this a a mandatory all-hands training? Yes, it was mandatory for me.
0: All right. So this is the beginning of the story. Hasbro wanting to make sure that little white kids know that they're racists. Conscious kid is the organization that he mentioned before. And according to PJ Media, uh, this is an organization providing the training that describes itself as saying, we are an education, research, and policy organization dedicated to equity. Okay, there's your first red flag. And promoting healthy racial identity development in youth. We support organizations, families, and educators in taking action to disrupt racism in kids. Well, all I can say at the outset is, if you're against racism, then you ought to be the world's biggest opponent of critical race theory because that is as racist as it gets. Having some kind of collective crime and accusing people who are individuals of a collective crime that they can't even prove, they just assert it. And if you deny it and if you fight back and if you say that's not true, you don't have any evidence for any of this, it doesn't matter because that just makes you a bigger racist. This is an excerpt starting out in this cut from the Conscious Kid program that apparently they're seeing over at Hasbro. This is cut two.
1: Children as young as two are already using race to reason about people's behaviors. Two-year-old racists is just an absurd concept. By three to six months, babies are beginning to notice and already express preference by race. By age three, children are already starting to apply stereotypes. They also may use racist language intentionally at this age i think this is where the the mass starts to slip a little bit is this what people are talking about regarding critical race theory this is critical race theory in practice they explain that the white children in particular have the particular bias against black people it's a mainstream ideology now um and it's in a lot of our institutions people that i've spoken to about these issues and i'm trying to explain to them why teaching people to segregate based on race or by gender or by any other inherent characteristic is wrong. If you want your children to be looking at people based on their race, then you are opposing Dr. Martin Luther King's dream.
0: Amen. He's right on the money. And by the way, David Johnson is black. He's an African American. He's not a white man sitting there saying this. He is actually telling the truth as any good American would see it. It has nothing to do with skin color. This man is just smart and he's observant and he's on the side of the truth. It's just incredible. I go back to something uh, Stacey Lennox wrote over at PJ Media about this, claim that by three to six months, babies are beginning to notice and already express preference by race. What? And and she says to frame an infant's lack of familiarity with a novel situation as evidence of bias is beyond the pale. Babies also show a preference for the faces of people they know. Studies have shown that this preference does not appear until between six and eight months. None of this is shocking. The idea that it is the root of overt racism is absurd to anyone who is a parent. Of course it is. Of course it is. Now, he's asked, David Johnson is asked, tell us what you know about Conscious Kid. Here's what he said. Cut three.
1: This was actually the first time I'd heard of, heard of them was this meeting. Um, following it, I did a bit of research. I know they work with a few other very, very large corporations, like um, I believe they work with Google, the NFL, Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. who's also a big partner with Hasbro. Now, Hasbro isn't the only heavy hitter, No. They? as you mentioned they work with the NFL players association MGM Nickelodeon and YouTube and YouTube that's a large share of like the market um, <clears throat> for children's entertainment like Hasbro itself is already a huge company because they have like everything from my little pony to transformers but YouTube YouTube is almost like the main The main hub where people go for entertainment now if they're using youtube to push this ideology then that's that's going to have very very far reach and very wide um implications
0: are you tired of activists everywhere you look there's just some wild-eyed leftist activist Behind every curtain, almost behind every tree, every bush. Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory when you're seeing it all the time, everywhere you go. And it's by design. Overwhelm the system. Oh, well, let's go back to Saul Alinsky, shall we? The man who was so enthralling to a certain former president of ours, who on his watch, when he talked about bringing the United States together as a purple country, managed to start a race war. I mean, effectively, he did because he made all kinds of comments trying to divide Americans by race. And it stoked hatred and it stoked bias and it stoked resentment. And it, it really had nothing to do. Uh, the, the overall plan had nothing to do with individuals who genuinely were mistreated. And we all acknowledge that. And there have been situations where there have been very terrible situations with police and uh, particular black men, for example, who've been pulled over and were mistreated mistreated in many many ways it's happened to white people too and it's all terrible but we've always agreed historically as americans that you know in our lifetimes that it doesn't matter what your skin color is we're all americans and and whoever is mistreated deserves justice and there should be justice for all it's why lady liberty is blind But we're losing that. And we're losing that because leftists are pushing it. And they have to get to your children. Here just a few days ago, I was playing the audio of that San Francisco gay men's chorus will convert your children and and making fun of the idea that in fact, that's exactly what they want to do. You have to get to the kids. That's how you create a new generation that you don't have to work on because they've been indoctrinated from day one. Who can stop this? Parents can stop this. Parents can stop this. If you have a child who's going to school, who is looking at YouTube, who, and they do by the millions and millions, you need to be involved in your child's life and you need to have forthright discussions with your kids teaching them biblical truth and not allowing the world to school them because this is what the world is going to shove down their throats. This is what you are increasingly seeing in these companies, as were mentioned. YouTube, for example, PJ Media says created a storytime playlist to counter anti-blackness and highlight black authors and stories. What anti-blackness? Google curated a list of reading materials and lesson plans to support inclusive anti-racist K-12 education education is anti-racist. Who's pro-racism in education? They are but prior to the CRT push, who was doing this? Nickelodeon provided resources to support conversations about race and racism with children. And East Baton Rouge parish donated thousands of anti-racist books to every school in the parish. This is, this all this anti-racist messaging they mention is the brainchild of Ibram X. Kendi and requires assigning behaviors, motivations, characteristics, innate abilities, societal roles, and historical guilt on children based solely on their race. Protect your kids against this. This is not the american way it's not true and it is fundamentally racist we must fight it and god bless david johnson for coming forward thank you david don't forget our wonderful campaign to get bibles to africa with bible league international five dollars is all it takes to send one bible and we're getting closer to our goal but we need your help if you'd like to help please call today with a donation at 800 yes word 800 y-e-s w o r d or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com god bless you thank you so much for listening we really appreciate you and we'll be back next time